I hope as you listen, especially the last presentation, that you're, you know, it was a very uh, focused on the individual, obviously, with habit, but also what sort of cues could you establish in your quorum or relief society? What habits does your quorum or relief society have in relation to ministering, right? And to completely change the, the culture of that organization so that things start to happen, you've got to address the, the habits, right? And adjust the habits. Um, a few weeks ago, as I was planning for this uh, conference, well, years ago, as I did a online virtual summit, I made the mistake of, well, I, I had some great speakers lined up. Even Steve Schallenberger was one, um, had another individual from Vital Smarts, just some fantastic speakers. And you look at the presentation or the uh, event page, and it's a bunch of men, and then there's one woman right there. And I got a few emails about it, to be honest. I'm, so, I'm really trying here. Okay, I promise it's not uh, a, a hidden prejudice or within me, at least I hope it's not. And so as I was putting this together, I looked in the, the screen and, and of the presentation page and we had a whole bunch of men and one woman. And I thought, this cannot be. Okay. And so I started my search. I talked with Elaine Dalton. She wasn't available. I talked with, uh, uh, I talked with uh, Julie Beck. She wasn't available. All these different women. I just, I just need a really, but I just can't, I mean, I wanted to present value. I mean, I could have my, my mom would have probably said yes, right? Could, absolutely, mom. And let me tell you, this is my, my first leadership teacher right here. She doesn't know, but she'd have a lot to, a lot to share. So I, I reached out to many of you who are familiar with Liz Wiseman, who I've interviewed a few times. If you haven't heard any of her uh, interviews on the Leading Saints podcast, they're, they're so valuable. And Liz lives in, um, in California in the Bay Area. And I said, Liz, any chance in the world you're going to be in Salt Lake on November 27th? She's like, oh, I'm going to be there two days later. Like, oh. I said, well, Liz, help me out. I need a dynamic woman speaker that can come and teach some awesome leadership material to, to, the, to the audience. And uh, she gave me the name of Jessica Johnson. And she will be our next speaker, which I'm so thrilled about. I've gone from one woman on the schedule to two. Maybe we'll have three next time. I don't know. Okay. Uh, Jessica Johnson is a professional consultant for the RBL Group. She consults with organizations worldwide in various industries for leadership development and strategic human resources. In that role, she serves as an executive coach, teacher, facilitator, and program designer. She has published articles and book chapters on developing high potential employees and coaching. Way back in the day, Jessica was, the, was a live television sports producer for Sports West, covering college football and basketball. She holds an MBA and MA from Brigham Young University and lives in Springville, Utah. She's a former uh, Relief Society president and currently serves as the stake in the stake primary presidency. So Jessica, Let's welcome her. Get my computer hooked up here real quick. I'll just take this. Um, so I don't know if I need, need that. Okay. We'll see how it goes. Um, so I, Kurt, thank you for yes. giving me I'll the opportunity. I'll get out of your way now. Thank and, you. And Liz, I have already thanked for um, suggesting me. I, um, I teach leadership development with organizations, usually very large organizations, around the world. The week before Thanksgiving, I was in Abu Dhabi, which is one of the Emirates in um, the Middle East. And, um, oh, that's the wrong side. And I, um, I really uh, love the work that I do, and I very often get the opportunity just myself to, I'm not sure why that's not working. Um, to think about um, leadership concepts in uh, church settings. And I learn a lot as I do that. And so hopefully I can share with you a little bit about what I teach regularly for leadership development and then relate that to what we do in all the things that we do um, from day to day um, as we serve in our callings 
and, uh, and that type of thing. So let's see if magically this is going to work a little bit better. Ah, brilliant. This is why okay. we don't have PowerPoint This is why I have tech people. Okay, so I've been thinking a lot about counseling and councils. Um, and, and we're going to talk about some things, and we're going to, this will be a little bit interactive, so be prepared. Um, talk with me first about what councils you are involved in, the CIL type of council. What councils are you involved in regularly, please? Okay, a school community council. What else? State council. State council, okay. Yeah? Family council. Family council, thank you. We should be, right? Yeah, what else? Ward and Relief Society councils, okay, great. Presidency meeting. We should absolutely have that. That is a council meeting. Um, I, I think this is, uh, councils are really one of the most um, important things that the Lord has given us for how to govern his church. Um, he uses councils, and, uh, and we'll talk a little bit about that. So let's first get into the SEL portion of council. Um, now, this is uh, conversing one with another. We certainly should counsel in a lot of the things that we do. Um, and sometimes that's one-on-one, -on -one. sometimes it's in a group setting. Um, these are some scriptures I came up with, and I'd love to actually think, do any scriptures come to mind for you when you think about counsel and how the Lord tells us to counsel or receive counsel or anything like that? Anything come to mind for people? Say, counsel with the Lord and all thy doings. Very good. And I'm not asking you to quote scripture and verse. Just give us, you know, a general idea. What else comes to mind for counsel? The counsel in heaven. The counsel in heaven. Oh, thank you. That's another one. Absolutely. So that was a CIL counsel in heaven. Interesting that the, that's a great place that the Lord used counsels. What else? Scriptures do you think about when it comes to counsel? Yeah, there are some in the Doctrine and Covenants. Absolutely. Um, Joseph used councils and taught us a lot about those. Craig, did you have I something? don't know that it was, uses the word council. It may or may not, but when Nephi was sent back to pick, get the plates, uh -huh. he counseled with Lehi, and they, they talked about what they were going to do before they went out. So that's... Good. So we see the behavior often in the scripture, even if it's not called out as an SEL council, right? Okay, good. So these scriptures, and you've highlighted some of them, um, the Doctrine and Covenants, there's one for the Doctrine and Covenants. Um, Behold, thus saith the Lord unto my people, you have many things to do and to repent of. So the Lord's telling them, hey, watch out. You, but you're not pardoned because you seek to counsel in your own ways. So not connecting with the Lord on counsel. Counsel with the Lord in all thy doings. That's what you quoted from Alma 37, 37. But in Jacob, we also see, seek not to counsel the Lord. And so we're getting kind of two messages here, right? We should counsel with the Lord, but we shouldn't counsel the Lord. The with is the important piece there. We need to counsel with the Lord. It should be a conversation. It should not be, hey, Heavenly Father, here's what I think. And yada, 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 right? I have done that far too many times in my life. Doesn't work so well. Um, I think that's something we can all learn along the way. So lots of scriptures on counsel. They're actually probably... Um, I found about 300 references to counsel in the scriptures. Um, one that I love is the story of King David. We've been studying the Old Testament this year. I was, um, before my current calling that happened a couple months ago, I was a gospel doctrine teacher. So we got way into King David and, and David before he was king. And, um, and as we read about David in Psalms, he does an interesting thing. He tries to counsel the Lord and talk about the relationship that he has with the Lord. And um, he tries to really dictate what sort of relationship he wants. And guess what? Doesn't work. And so he has to learn a little bit more about the Lord and about himself. And we see this process through the Psalms. And finally, um, I found this really interesting metaphor in Psalm 55, where David now has kind of reconciled with the Lord and has a better relationship. And as he talks about the relationship, he says, we took 
sweet counsel together and walked unto the house of God in company. I love that. Thinking about David with the Lord counseling together. In the same chapter, he calls him a friend. Now, sweet counsel. I want us to think a lot about these counsels that you just delineated. Is it sweet counsel in those meetings and in those individual conversations? Or does it get bitter sometimes? So what we should strive for is sweet counsel with the Lord and in all of our counsels, the CIL counsels. I love that President Joseph F. Smith said, in the midst of counsel, there is wisdom. And then we've got the other side, these groups, the CIL. Now, as we go through this discussion, I've been thinking a lot about ward councils, so that will probably come out more. But tie that to any of these councils that we've mentioned, family councils and so on. I love that we mentioned that the Lord used councils and like the council in heaven. Um, could he have just had a meeting or an assembly? Could he have just dictated his plan? Absolutely. But instead, he decided to have a council in heaven. Powerful to think about why we do that and why he suggests that to us. And I think he very much realizes that the input of every individual is important. He actually encouraged um, conversation and some conflict around these things. Now, I would you know, submit to you that conflict should be a part of your councils. Does that make anybody nervous? It absolutely should be a part of your councils. And I could um, probably delineate for you study after study about how conflict is really valuable in coming to the right solutions. What we get concerned about is actually contention. And I've been searching the scriptures. I'd love for anyone to show me where it says conflict is bad, but very regularly we find that contention is the bad thing. And the definition of contention is when emotion gets involved. And so we start having a conflict where there's a difference of opinion and then I get angry or I get frustrated or I can't deal with um, and continue conversing about it. Um, the contention is the bad side, but conflict can be very valuable in a council setting. And I think the Lord showed us that um, with the council in heaven. Um, so I, I pulled up one more example. So this um, meeting of Moses and Jethro, this happens in Exodus 18. And Jethro is Moses' father-in-law. He's the person who ordained him to the priesthood. He was known as the priest of Midian. And Jethro comes uh, to visit Moses, and he gives him some advice or some feedback. And, um, and he was basically talking about Moses' leadership style. Now, Moses was a fantastic leader, right? And he's talked about throughout not just the Old Testament, but all throughout the scriptures, the Pearl of Great Price, Doctrine and Covenants, and so on and so forth and um, in the Book of Mormon as well. And Moses is righteous, and he is a, a dedicated leader, but he even needs changes to his leadership style. And because he was meek and he listened to his father-in-law, he was able to change his style of leadership and do things in a better way. We can also learn a lot of lessons from Jethro and how he gave that feedback. He came, there was a relationship of trust with Moses. He sat and he observed. And then he asked a lot of questions. And then he said to Moses, you know, here is what I'm seeing. You're going to wear yourself out and you're going to wear the people out if you don't make some changes. And he gave some suggestions from what he had seen, but he very much stepped back and said, but you check with the Lord and you figure out what the best course of action is for you. And so um, together, they were able to counsel. We don't know in the scriptures if that was one-on-one, -on -one, if there was a big group around, but um, they counseled well together and I think are a great example of that. Um, and Jethro, I, I don't know if I mentioned, he was also a really fantastic listener along the way. So kind of taking from these examples and understanding the need for counsels and counseling, what can help us drive toward that sweet counsel in our councils? Now, I want you to think about that for yourself, and I'll share with you some of my thoughts, but I'd love to hear any of yours as we go through. So this, when I teach on high-performing teams, 
Um, this is some content that I use. Um, and I think it's helpful when we think about councils and setting them up appropriately. Now, in a ward council, I've seen this happen time and again, and I hear a lot of feedback that, um, you know, even Elder Ballard talked about counseling within our councils 20 years ago. His talk in general conference was 20 years ago, and he talked two conferences in a row about it. We still haven't really figured it out in a lot of cases. Um, we have a leader in council meetings that set the direction and tone. Right now, I was called into the state primary presidency in, um, in August. My leader is Sue Smith, and Sue Smith is a fantastic leader. She talks about the vision on every agenda. It has the purpose and the theme of primary on it. And as we counsel together, we refer to that, we talk about that, um, and we utilize it a lot. That's what the leader should be doing. In a ward council, your bishop should absolutely be doing that. The problem is, and this was Moses' problem, is he tries to wear too many hats at once. And I've seen that with a lot of bishops. They try to be the leader, the facilitator, maybe the expert, um, all along the way, or wear any of these hats. When we have divisions of roles and responsibilities, we'll actually have a more productive council meeting. And so consider um, the different hats that individuals wear. You might have someone who's the networker. This is the individual who's been in the ward for a long time. They know people's skills and talents. And when we have um, an issue or a family we're trying to help, they might be able to say, oh, this person is underemployed. Um, why don't we connect them with this individual and see if they can work together um, and work something out? So a networker could help like that. Maybe you've got an expert. Maybe your expert is on the church handbook of instructions and they can tell you, oh, you know what? That is correct policy or that is not. That doesn't have to be the bishop. We can draw on other people to help with that. Um, one of the concerns I have is too many times I see bishops trying to be the facilitator as well as the leader. It's actually really difficult to play both of those roles at the same time. What a good facilitator will do is have the agenda and have the timing, and they will keep us moving through that agenda. They will keep us from getting way too off track on something and saying maybe we should table that and come back to it at a later time. Um, they can also observe and make sure everyone in the council meeting is involved in the conversation, and they are counseling um, within that council meeting. It's, it's very difficult to be a deep listener and facilitate at the same time. And so these are roles that we can assign to different people. And it doesn't have to be the same person every time. We can actually shift that around. The skeptic that looks for flaws. Sometimes we have people that are natural skeptics, right? <laughs> In our meetings. Um, and so they can fill that role for us. But sometimes we don't have that. And I found a lot of artificial harmony as um, I have been in different ward councils where people aren't willing to stand up because maybe the bishop makes all of the decisions and they're not willing to engage in the conversation because there's some learned helplessness that they've developed along the way. So having a skeptic, if you don't have one, this is something that you could assign. Let's not call it the devil's advocate when we are in a ward council meeting, but how do you say, why don't you just be the questioner and you come up with good ideas and good questions that we can then discuss and debate and say, hey, is that really the right thing? You know, is that going to affect the primary in a way that we don't intend for it to affect them? Um, and so on. So all of those roles are valuable. I, I have the other up there. Are there any other roles that you've seen people play in your councils that have been really valuable um, that maybe we can all learn from? Any thoughts? Yeah. The peacemaker, okay. Uh, sometimes the ward councils can get kind of um, action-driven or, or a little, uh, just a lot of participation with some conflict. Mm -hmm. But uh, a peacemaker that kind of helps to bring it back and and you know and recognize opinions, but kind of soften the good. Mood. Excellent. So if you didn't hear that, especially those online, a peacemaker that can kind of help us control the mood if we get a little bit out of sorts at any point in time. Good. Any other thoughts for someone? Yeah. Question. Each of these roles is, is as much a personality as it is a 
calling or whatever, even, even more so. Mm -hmm. uh, often the leader may not be the one that really sets the direction or the tone. The individual that's called as a leader yeah. may be more of a networker, may be more of a facilitator. Yeah. Um, that seems to create in the setting here a bit of a challenge because someone does need to be the leader. Yeah. And if the called leader is more of a facilitator or even more of a skeptic, how do you deal with something like that? Yeah, so um, I think we all wear a lot of different hats when we do these things. Um, what I would say is the leader can absolutely delegate a fair amount of their work. Certainly there are keys that our bishops or our stake presidents hold that, not, that everyone can't take over and do. But if you find someone and you're the leader who has a valuable trait in an area, maybe they're really good at accountability or execution. Why don't you delegate to them and let them take control of those things? Moses did that. He delegated down and he had his groups of 50 and his groups of 100 and that type of thing. And that's where the decisions were made. And then the leader was just informed of the decisions along the way. And so recognizing the strengths that you have around you and your own strengths and weaknesses, what am I really good at and what am I not so good at? And then, you know, uh, use others and maybe give them opportunities to learn and grow and develop uh, into having that as a strength. Does that help someone? Yeah. Okay. All right, good. Yeah. I was just thinking that um, there's always those introverts that aren't saying anything. They don't yeah. say anything the entire meeting, yeah. but um, they're taking everything in and they're a lot of times the people who follow through yeah. and do the work. Yeah, absolutely. As someone who has to turn on extrovert because it's not my natural tendency, um, I have been that person and I have seen that. And that's what a good facilitator can do. And sometimes it's work that they can do outside of the council meeting itself and say, I know you've got good ideas or a perspective that we need. Would you be willing to share your thoughts a little bit more? And if you need me to say, you know, Kristen, I would love to hear from you. What are you thinking about this in the meeting? I'll do that as the facilitator, right? Or if there's something else that you, know, you can do to help prompt them, let them teach you how to involve them in the conversation. If they're true introverts, talking about it outside of the room is a little bit more helpful than putting them on the spot in the room. But if we want everyone to contribute and we want everyone involved, having those conversations can be really valuable. I think sometimes we have our people who easily speak up and it's just second nature to them. Um, I, in teaching gospel doctrine, I learned a rule from my sister who's a religion professor that um, she makes a two comment rule. <laughs> so she says, um, you've got two comments for her class period. And so you better think wisely about what those are. So if you've raised your hand two, two times and, and you've made your comments, you're done. Um, and, uh, and that makes those who speak up quite easily, um, uh, they think a little bit more about what they're going to say. And those who don't speak up, she says, just try and up your average a little bit, right? So if you never, let's try and get to one comment, a class period, so we can hear from more people. And I think we can do that in our councils too. But a tangent maker. Uh-huh. Yeah. How do you deal with those? Yeah. I think um, some of them, it, it's, it's a process of understanding whether it's valuable to the conversation. And again, I think a facilitator is a great person to say, hey, does that fit with the agenda we have in front of us? If we have no agenda, then you're gonna have a lot of tangents. And so if it fits in the agenda, um, great, let's take a little bit of time to talk about that or say, let's, let's spend about three minutes on that and have somebody watching the clock. But if not, and it's taking us way off course, then we'll say, okay, that's, that's a valuable topic but it's probably not best because it doesn't involve the whole council or you know, something like that. But if we can tie back to an anchor, like an agenda, that can help us along the way. So another person and how do you deal with this is they're just there because they're supposed to be there. Yeah. They don't, they want the meeting over. Yeah. They get there, so they're not going to say anything. Because it might prolong the meeting. Prolong That's right. Oh, yeah. What, so I'll say it again, just Kurt. Fill in a chair is what you're saying, right? Yeah, they're just yeah. showing up because it's their calling. They don't care. They don't want an assignment. They don't yeah. want to. So, how do you help? I think it is a great opportunity to counsel with the Lord with about that individual because I can't say, 
you know, I don't know who sits in all of your council meetings, but that individual, I promise you, has a skill and a talent that they can lend to the work, or they probably wouldn't be in that calling and the Lord wouldn't have guided the person who called them into it. And so what would the Lord have you utilize them for? And maybe there is a specific skill that they can lend to the conversations. Um, that's what I would suggest. And you all should talk amongst yourselves because I'm sure you have a lot of ideas around these things too. I certainly don't have them all. So when we talk about um, getting everyone involved, I love a story I, I read. It was an interview with um, Justice Kennedy, Anthony Kennedy from the U.S. Supreme Court. And Anthony Kennedy for many years was the junior member on the court. Now when they meet in their council session, which is called a conference, um, he would sit next to the door, be the closest to the door of any of the Supreme Court justices. And so anytime anything would be delivered or they needed to get a message out, they would um, knock on the door and Justice Kennedy would have to go and answer it because they didn't have clerks in their council meetings um, for a lot of reasons. But, um, uh, and so he did this and the interviewer was asking him, did you feel like, because you were the junior member of the court for such a long period of time, did you feel like your voice wasn't as well heard as the other justices? And he said, absolutely not. What the order that we work under is that no one speaks twice until everyone has spoken once. Now, I am not suggesting that your counsel should be dogmatic and make every single person speak, but the more value, you will get more value out of those council meetings if you involve more people. Very recently, Elder Neil L. Anderson said, revelation is scattered among us. The bishop doesn't have it all, the Release Society president doesn't have it all, it's among everyone. And if we're all seeking the spirit, we've got to pull that together in our council meetings to be able to develop what the, the Lord wants for us in our wards. So gather that together. It's also scriptural. Let one speak at a time and let all listen unto his sayings or her sayings, that when all have spoken, that all may be edified. And that means if a, something comes up with the elders quorum, can only the elders quorum or the bishopric talk about it? No, everyone should have ideas about that uh, and be able to contribute what comes to them and the inspiration that comes to them. Um, we were recently talking with one of the um, primary presidencies in our stake and we were doing a training and we talked about teacher council meetings. And um, some of the wards in our stake struggle with getting primary um, personnel to go to teacher council meetings. Well, this primary president was struggling with that and she went to her ward council and she said, this is my issue, I don't know what to do. And the ward council came up with a number of different ideas and thoughts and then together they decided on a course of action. And, um, and she said it works so much better. The council suggested that they come and sit in sharing time, which I know is changing um, with the next year. And um, also suggested that young men or young women could sit in sharing time and help out and so on. So those can be um, valuable things when we're willing to stop and listen. And so I wanted to spend a little bit of time on listening. And I use this um, in a lot of my trainings because it's one thing that I think every individual could get a little bit better at. I know I always need practice in listening. So talk to me about what gets in the way for you when it comes to listening. What are some barriers? I'll tell you one thing for me is I have a constant to-do list going through my head. And sometimes I'm sad to say, even in a one-on-one -on -one conversation, I will start checking through my list and go, okay, what's the next thing? What's the next thing? I got to get off to that. And then I've missed what's been said in that conversation. Yeah, what gets in the way for you? Your attention span, okay, yeah, yeah. Our spouses could be good at helping us understand some of those things better, right? What gets in the way for you when it comes to listening, yeah. I know for me, um, one of the things that I tend to do. I'm gonna get my mic close to you. Yeah. One of the things that I tend to do is I listen for the first thing that I can answer and I want to just answer that thing. I don't wait for them to finish the full thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so, because we want to relate to people and we want to, you know, have a connection there, but 
if something pops into your mind, that's what we kind of hold on to, right? And then everything else gets lost along the way. Yeah. I hate to say this, but sometimes if an idea that I don't want to go forward comes into play, I don't want to have that go on any longer, so I will maybe interrupt and not listen or... <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Yeah, right? Yeah. Like you don't want it anymore. Thank you, Kurt. Anybody else? What gets in the way for you when it comes to listening a little bit better? Um, I think it goes along with your, so many things going through your head, but um, time, that sometimes the meetings are just so long yeah. and you have so many other things to do and so you're going to multitask during the meeting or and not listen fully or what, during the conversation. Definitely. Yeah, and our technology can distract us, um, absolutely. Our timeline and our schedules, um, definitely. Yeah, let's have one more. Sometimes for me it's um, when people, so it's difficult when, when someone's communication style tends to be either over-communication mm -hmm. or over-sharing or inane amounts of de insane amounts of inane detail. Yeah. And then, well, my sister, well, you know, my sister did this, and then her daughter did this, and then and I'm like, I, I've completely lost the conversational thread. Right. I have no idea what we were talking about in the first place. And sometimes we never make it back to the point of whatever yeah. it was they started to say in the first place. And so I start to go, look, there goes my interest. And, and I don't mean to do that, right? But, but I get lost in the amount of detail, and I'm like, I don't care, I don't, whatever it is, I don't know what it is, and I don't care anymore. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely, okay. So um, some very definite barriers for sure. Now, I, when I teach this, I do a little exercise where I will put people in pairs and I'll send half of the pair out of the room. So I've got a big group out there. Because we've got people online, we're not gonna do this one. We will do another exercise, so prepare yourselves. But um, to get into level one listening, what I do is I have the person who stays in the room talk about um, a trip that they took. And then I'll take people out of the room and I'll say, okay, I'm gonna give them some tips on how to be really good listeners. And when we go out of the room, I say, you're actually gonna be a really bad listener. So you're gonna hear things that they say, but your job is to translate it all into your own experience. So if they say, I went on a trip to Venice, you'll say, oh, me too. Did you go on the gondola? Well, no. Oh, I went on the gondola, and then you just start going. So it feels like maybe they're listening to you because they hear things that you're saying. But in the end, the individual is not feeling understood because the person that's listening to them is focusing on themselves. They're not focusing on the other person. Now, there are often times when we should be in level one listening. When we are in the doctor's office and the doctor is telling you the prognosis of what they have just discovered um, uh, according to your health, then we can absolutely be in level one listening. When I travel to different countries and new places, I am in level one listening because I've got to figure out what's happening around me and how it pertains to me. When we are in council meetings, level one listening does not serve us well because there are tendencies sometimes, um, I've, I've seen people do this, where they will try and one-up people with challenges that they're having or stories, experiences that they've had. That's level one listening when it's about you and you're just trying to um, be better or smarter than the other person um, and that type of thing. So I also really feel like it's difficult for the spirit to get to us if we're in level one listening. So... I would love us to spend more time in level two listening, but you've gotta be really mindful. I do this, I was just, I came this morning, I flew from Denver um, where I was visiting a friend and she and I are both leadership coaches. And we were, went on a walk yesterday and recognized that we were both in level one listening as we were walking along and just saying, oh, well, what you did and then how that pertains to me and that type of thing. Sometimes that's okay in a friendship conversation, but when we're really trying to drive initiatives and ideas forward, it's better to be in level two. So who's ready to do a little bit of an exercise where we can practice this type of listening? Thank you for all volunteering. I love it. Okay, great. So you're gonna need one partner. So we need to be paired up in twos. Now I would prefer it if you didn't know this person really well, okay? So pair up with someone that you don't know really well. And if you have been sitting for a while, this is a great thing to do standing up. 
So on your feet, you're only gonna have to stand for about three and a half minutes once I explain it, okay? Pair up with someone. Great opportunity to get to know someone else in this room. Okay, do I have any orphans out there that need a partner? Okay, partner up. If you need a partner, raise your hand. Okay, anybody else need a partner? But do you guys know each other? No. All right. I'll trust you. Okay, so now, do a little switcheroo if you need to. Okay, so now I'm gonna tell you how to orient yourself and I'm gonna use Brenda as an example. So if Brenda and I were partners, we would be standing shoulder to shoulder facing opposite directions, okay? So you wanna be able to hear the person talking, but you can't look at them, okay? You gotta look a different direction. So there's, there's your orientation. Now, will one person in the group raise their hand? Just one person in the group, there you go. Okay, you are partner number one. Your job is to talk for two minutes about a significant event from your life. Now you gotta fill two minutes, I'm gonna time you. Partner two, who did not have their hand raised, partner two, what you need to do is listen. You cannot make any comments, no, uh-huh, uh-huh, nothing like that. You can't shake your head. You are just looking the opposite direction and listening to everything that person said. And partner two, I want you to really focus on what is your brain doing? How are you experiencing this significant event that the individual is talking with you about that's standing next to you, okay? Any questions before we launch in? Okay. Two minutes, partner number one, go. Okay, finish up your sentence. And then partner two, you can now ask as many questions as you want to. And you can, yeah, just ask as many questions as you want to. Go for it. All right. So people who were in the partner one position that were telling their story, how did that feel? Long, two minutes seems like a long time sometimes, doesn't it? Yeah, what else? It was cool to be in control. You were in control. Yeah, you could just keep talking and nobody was gonna interrupt you because I told them they could not. <laughs> nice, okay, what else? Yeah. Sorry, I wanted my partner to respond. So it was strange. It was almost like speaking to a wall, except she's so good, she would nod just ever so slightly. Oh, I could see that. But she broke the rules. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> because we do, we crave that, right? We want some interaction. We want to know we're not just talking at a wall. Absolutely. Any comments from, yeah, partner one? Uh, so for me, I could like really relive the whole thing. Like I could visualize it like it just happened. Okay. As you were telling the story. Correct. Or, okay. All right. Good. 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 Okay. Now partner two, I want to hear about your two minutes of silence. What was happening internally in your two minutes of silence? Anybody want to share? Yeah. Brad. Here comes the mic. I'm like a deacon. <laughs> Um, I was concentrating at first, but, uh, and, and can I share? Well, I mean, it's personal. Okay. Anyway, he was sharing uh, with me his uh, struggle that he and his family had with his mom that developed Alzheimer's, and, and medical professionals were saying one thing, and the family and her were saying another. And, um, and then I started thinking of my mother, who's 95, and and wants to stay in her own home and 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 so i was kind of relating his situation to my situation yeah so level one listening i mean that's what you went to and it's not a bad thing like i said we will be in level one listening sometimes but sometimes it does help us make a connection and relate to someone but what it doesn't help is us to kind of further agendas if we spend too much time only thinking about how it affects us 
Okay, so good, thank you for sharing that. That's really helpful. Other experiences as you were listening. Kurt, you're awesome. Thank you. I'm a cheater. So the, the being quiet wasn't too tough, for, yeah. but not being able to nod or have some kind of like physical validation that like I hear you and that's, I mean, it was a really touching thing that she shared and so I got a little emotion and to not have her be yeah. able to know like, I get it. How, it was how is it touching? How did? Um, just the story, the particular story that she shared. Uh -huh. there, there were just a lot of, uh, I don't know, sweet, tender mercies in her story. And okay. it just All right. know, touched my heart. Okay. Yeah. Good. Yeah. So I definitely felt the same thing. It's hard to focus on what the person was saying. And I wasn't looking at them. I got distracted by other things. And so it was, I felt like it was hard to listen sometimes, but I also felt the fact that she just got to listen or talk for two minutes and I had to listen. I got to know her really well. And I think she felt, shared some vulnerable things that maybe wouldn't be shared if she didn't have two minutes to just talk. Yeah. And it really sometimes is a gift to allow people some space to talk. Now, we don't want our council meetings to go on and on and on and on. They need to end at some point in time, right? But I think that when we listen deeply and getting into level two can really help us do that. Um, did anyone have questions come to their mind that they wanted to ask as they were listening for two minutes? Yeah, and did it get answered? Or were you able to ask that at the end? I was quite interested. I was quite interested in what he was talking about, so I followed him very closely, yeah. and I, I so I had a lot of questions, and we didn't have enough time actually to follow up. So we're going to follow up later now. But fantastic. <laughs> but we it was uh, it was a good experience. Good, good. So thinking about that, like how do we quiet ourselves? Because sometimes it's the voice in our head that is keeping us from listening better. Sometimes, and I've had this experience myself. I'll be in a council meeting. And I will come up with a brilliant item that I want to share. And then I start wordsmithing it in my head because I want to sound, you know, like I've got it together when I actually say that thing. When you do that, you don't hear what is happening. And so we'll miss bits and pieces of what the other person is saying. And so when you're in level two listening, you really can focus more on that other person and hear them. And then I even heard some of you say, you got into level three, da-da, there's another level. And level three is, what are you observing through your senses about this conversation? Now, you weren't looking at the person's face to see that maybe there was some emotion there, but you could hear it. Sometimes you could hear it. I could also tell when I'm in meetings when people are frustrated. And maybe that's when we need our peacemaker that can step in and help calm things down a little bit. So when we're able to listen at different levels, I don't know anybody who listens at level three 100% of the time, like that's really difficult. But if you are in a leadership position and we can hear in somebody's voice that this is um, an intense or a thing that they are very interested in, well, let's ask some more questions. And that's where we kind of lead to Good listeners are able to ask some really good questions. So just some things we're talking about. If we listen well, it, help us, it helps us understand people better. I said this earlier, but I'm gonna repeat it again. Good listening is not that you hear what the other person's saying, it's that they feel understood. And sometimes we have to ask questions to understand what it feels like to stand in their shoes. Um, we can build more trust and collaboration and more inspiration and I think revelation can emerge when we're listening well to each other and getting into those deeper levels of listening. And then when we feel heard, that really can build a council member's willingness to verbally and visibly to commit to the decisions that are made. If people don't feel heard, they're gonna keep talking about it and they may not go along with the change that the bishop then decides upon or something like that. And so when people feel heard, they're able to move forward with things. Um, many times an initial topic will come up. We've all seen icebergs before, right? But as we ask questions, we can get deeper and deeper into that. And it's a, a wonderful portion of, um, 
of listening. So being curious is what I call it. And that curiosity can lead to more inspired questions. So here's just some examples. I think a lot of time when we ask questions, it's more information gathering, like what ward activity should we calendar for the next year? Instead of in what ways can we best serve the needs of our ward members? Have a conversation around that and counsel around that. How are members of our church viewed in our community versus how can we make a difference in our community? Or the third one, why is this such a big issue for the young women? Um, help me understand what's getting in the way of making progress on this initiative with the young women. Those three words at the front of that question or statement is they're like my favorite question to ask help me understand help me get what it's like to serve in your auxiliary in the ward help me understand what the children are feeling help me understand what issues you have within young women because then maybe i can help and maybe i'll get some inspiration to help you along the way um, so thinking about being curious and asking deep questions is, um, is one of the more valuable things that we can do. Now, I, um, I'm gonna try and show this video. The audio wasn't working quite well on my computer, so I'm gonna take my mic off and use this. Um, this is, I don't know if you've anyone seen the recent um, documentary that was done on Mr. Rogers from Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. A few of you have seen that. So I used to work in television um, and for KBYU at one point in time. And um, we went to the PBS conference and Mr. Rogers was one of the speakers. And he talked about how valuable for interviewers silence is. But as interviewers, we are afraid of silence. And I just wanna show this clip because I think it's so valuable um, to wait through the silence. As I coach people one-on-one, -on -one, and it doesn't matter what you know, um, their heritage is, it doesn't matter where they live in the world, and their culture or cultural background, silence is powerful. And if I just wait, lots more information comes. Now, in our council meetings, sometimes that's difficult because someone's always gonna pop up and say something, but think about in your more one-on-one -on -one conversations or smaller presidency meetings, waiting for that. I think silence is one of the greatest gifts that we have. His questions are direct, simple, short, and then he waits. He interviewed me, and he put his face about three inches away from my face. He says, it's so nice to see you and to be with you. It scared the living daylights out of me. But I realized this is what children do with adults. And sometimes after they answer, he doesn't say anything else. So they say a little bit more. It's, it's, a, it's a perfect interviewing trick. <laughs> very funny, very funny, very funny. No, I'm not falling for it, very good. Okay, so, so then um, using silence um, as we're asking questions uh, can really help more information come to light um, and get us past that tip of the iceberg. So. Um, because our time is short, I want to just talk about our responsibilities in council in summary. Now, number one, we have to develop trusting relationships. We haven't spent a lot of time talking about that. This is one that could use some pondering on your own. Think about how you develop trust with the Lord and then how you can develop better trust with individuals in the councils where you serve and, uh, and work. Listen to make sure everyone is feeling understood. If they're not going along with things um, and uh, changes that are happening, they just may not feel like their voice has been heard. So help them feel understood. Be curious, ask inspired questions. You know, I coach people and um, I, and these people are not necessarily members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Um, and I will pray for them before I coach them. And very often when I am in those meetings, 
questions will pop into my mind that are not mine. And they are inspired questions. And all I have to do is say it. And I don't have to like hold it in a trap and go, oh, is that the right question to ask? Is that what I should say? Is that what I should do? They are given to me um, to help that individual in what they're doing. And I think the same thing goes. Wait for those inspired questions to come to you and be willing to share them. Um, and I promise you that they will come as we ask for them. Share the load in all areas. The council is there to support each other. Um, learn to work in a new way. Sometimes we're not used to this. Granted, the Lord has done this forever, but we have to get used to working in councils. Um, in large organizations, it has been command and control for years, and I think that has filtered into the church, um, the restored church. I'm going to use the right terminology. And, um, and I've even seen this uh, shift happen in large organizations where they are going to more councils and committees as they call them because Cisco was an organization I worked for and they went to a council system because they had great ideas that one leader heard about didn't quite catch the vision and it was getting squashed along the way as they had councils they were bubbling up more ideas for new products and um, and and services and that type of thing um, when we can use a council system um, in organizations and in um, the restored church, we can, we can just do more of what the Lord wants us to do. Verbally and visibly commit once a decision is made and focus on love as your intent, just as the Savior would. Um, all of those things are uh, supremely important. So um, before I finish, I want to just give you a second. I'll give you 30 seconds to write down what's one thing that perhaps the Spirit taught you today, because really it doesn't matter what I say. It's what the Spirit's communicating to you or one thing that you need to know that you know that you need to work on. Capture that for yourself. Um, and I try and make a habit of that anytime I sit in a session. So it's not just in one ear and out the other. All right, that's all. Thank you so much, and I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.